Hi, my name is Jonathan Cordner, and this is just a short bit on how running's helped me over the past few years. In 2012, my wife Anna and I, we lost our beautiful daughter Kaylee to a terminal illness. Um, and we've since set up the charity Kaylee's We Stars. We provide support for terminally ill children across Scotland. Now, when Kaylee was poorly, um, a group of friends, we entered into the Loch Ness Marathon. It was just, just to raise some funds. None of us had ever run before, um, so the training was a bit of a shock to us all. However, I found that the getting out there and running, it gave me, it gave me the headspace. Um, headspace to think and, and even cope with some of the hardest times. Over the past few years, I've continued to train and now really enjoy competing. Most importantly, um, I continue to use running to, to give me that headspace. doesn't matter what the challenge is or, or how hard the day's been. Maybe it's just been a frustrating or stressful day. I know that getting that headspace for just 45 minutes or so um, will help me just clear my head and, and regain perspective. As is often the case, uh, one good change leads to another and getting into running means I'm, I'm physically tired at night, um, I have a better sleep at night, I naturally want to, to eat better, my diet's better um, as part of my training. I guess altogether uh, it all just results in a, a healthy body, healthy mind. I generally feel more energised. Um, if I've had a run, my attitude towards everything in the day is more positive when, when I've managed to get out to do that. In fact, you'll occasionally hear Anna say to me, my wife, she'll say, right, you're, you're too grumpy, get away out for a run. Um, but, however, my advice and, and one of my challenges is that we have to get the balance right with running. Running regularly is, is, is great for our health, but our family must come first. I often do my running at five in the morning when all my girls are sleeping. Um, as runners, we've uh, we've a great opportunity to pursue our passion, lead a healthy lifestyle and and get that headspace I was talking about. And it does it allows us to, to get some perspective, I think. But at the same time, we mustn't lose perspective and allow running to take over, making us lose sight of the things that are important to us. Um, if, if you've listened to this and you'd like to know more about, about our journey, our story, and, and more about the charity, uh, you can find out more at uk. Welcome to the Explore Running Podcast with Callum and Jenny. Okay, welcome to episode three of the Explore Running Podcast. Um, so we're on episode three, Jenny. We've got past the debut and the tricky second album, and now we're on to that mm-hmm. uh, third one where we can disappear up our own arses and speak about what we want. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, so um, thanks to everyone who's been listening. Um, I had a quick look earlier, and we've actually got some listeners in the USA and France. Weirdly. Wow. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but hello. Uh, Just no one uh, here. <laughs> yeah, so um, thanks for listening. And um, so we'll just get into it. We're just saying before we start recording, we're going to have to record a slightly shorter show. This is mid school holidays, so we're all in different places. and. Uh, Jenny's going to wait to drive somewhere in the next uh, 50 minutes or so and I'm in a back room in an office uh, where I'm a lawyer in another life so we'll have to make this relatively quick.
pretty usual, but um, what's been happening in the last uh, couple of weeks for you, Jenny? I did that race, the 24 hour one. Yeah. It was crazy. Actually, it was quite good. I mean, I went in with it with um, no expectations of winning for a start because I, I, I knew that I couldn't run for 12 hours solid and then turn around and run 12 hours back when I looked at maps and figured it out. Like I literally would have had to have gone from Creef along tar roads, main roads, and you could either go sort of like southwest, which would have taken you like to Calendar um, and places like that, or I could have gone to Dundee, or I could have run to Tyndrum, and I really didn't fancy that at all. So I went north, which nobody else did. So at the start, five people ran in the other direction from me. Uh, they all did follow mostly roads, and the guy that won actually, he ended up clocking almost a hundred miles. He was really a legend. Yeah, and he had he cool. had uh, the guy that ran with him ran about sixty of them with him. So here's me on my own, bashing up over boggy fields and round lochs and over hills, and eventually got to Pitlochry when it got dark. Had a kip, and then I was just absolutely destroyed. So I had to run uh, run back on mostly road but it was okay 12 hours um out 12 hours back sleep in the middle and i did it so i did all right yeah. there was only like <laughs> six of us in the race <laughs> yeah cool so uh, yeah i, I uh, had, a, had a look at the tracker um so i had my half marathon the next day so i wasn't staying up too oh, late that's but right, I, yeah. and i saw you'd gone north and actually i wasn't expecting after the chat we'd had maybe the two days is earlier. I imagined you were going to go to Calendar. That's where your friend lives, wasn't it? Yeah, head that, that way. I was yeah. expecting to see you go that way, but then you've gone north. And Quite rogue. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny, I mean, I, I don't know how, how much I, I'm imagining that you didn't really care that much about the outcome of this, but um, no. you totally could have won that race if you'd done it. Um, you probably had more fun doing it the way you did it. I did, and I thought it was good training, like with Lakeland 100 coming mm -hmm. up in summer, and I've got quite a few trail events where I've got to navigate, like uh, there's a three-day mountain marathon I'm doing in the Lake District in the beginning of May, so I was like, I really knew that it was an opportunity to do some pretty focused training, like navigation mm -hmm. work and uh, really bad running condition training, <laughs> so it was <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. I did. I definitely managed to uh, do that, and then having to yeah. run back the next day was just like the slog fest, you know. Yeah. And everybody else was doing the blinking. Is that there was loads of other things on that weekend that just made me think. Well, actually, I think I've had quite a good, a good one, a good race. Yeah, so, yeah. You, you could have done it a different way, and it wouldn't have been as worthwhile. Yeah, I wouldn't have learned that much. Longer on the road, things. and you wouldn't have enjoyed it, and it would have probably yeah. more than uh, yeah, exactly. the, the off-road stuff. So, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. I definitely yeah. need to get back on the old training plan. So, uh, with London coming up, so maybe I might redeem myself and actually follow <laughs> some plans for the yeah, next three so, weeks. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this week you've been doing uh, Lakeland 100 recce and I was kind of thinking... Yeah. 
walking to work this morning and you're um it's not marathon training at all but actually no. i mean you've, how many miles have you clocked monday Thursday? Um, well last week maybe. actually yeah well last week i had quite a low week but uh, purely because I had work and stuff, and so I sort of clocked them all at the end of the week. So it was just shy of 70 miles last week. Yeah. And then, but the beginning of this week, I've done 40 miles, you know, and it's only yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and off road and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, really technical running. Lots of hills so. and technical stuff, so. Yeah. All that will actually, it's far enough out from London that. <sighs> well, okay. It, so. <laughs> I've downloaded. I've downloaded my training plans. It's fine. Yeah. I've got them. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, stick, stick to the book for a bit now, and then that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, yeah. I was also thinking about this. It depends what you're what you're looking for, because you know, I I think you're in really really good shape just now to go and have a really good bash at London. Yeah, I just need to find uh, many opportunities. Yeah. Well, your speed though, know, because I mean, your your 10k time another week was pretty good on a oh, yeah, I suppose. road, you know, and. Uh, yeah, I would see your just a bit of fine tuning over the next yeah, couple of weeks, and then true. yeah, London could be. I mean, if you keep doing what you did this week for the next three or four weeks, then London will just have to be a training run. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm rain it back now. Yeah, I think yeah, with some two or three really good sessions and that sort of thing, and yeah, London could be yeah. a good place, but. See how it goes, because obviously the big one this year for you is the Lakeland 100, rather. Um, yeah. mile race, actually. I saw that in one of your... Yeah, well, that's it. Or something, because you've done 100 before, but in a different Yeah, form. it was Glenmore 24. I've mm -hmm. only ever reached 100 miles doing that, mm -hmm. and that's a little different different game, you know, because it's a, lot, a leap to run of four miles yeah. and trail. So that's fairly different or nice trail you know easy running and then mm -hmm. other than that it's been West Highland Way which isn't actually 100 miles it's only 90, honest, it? like 95 miles yeah <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get I don't imagine there's anybody at the end of that goes you know what I'm going to run an extra 5 miles just to make it up no there is nobody <laughs> I tell you I got, I got to 97 because I had taken a couple oh, of right. uh, turns yeah, okay. and uh, yeah, my pal was like, oh, you're only like two and a half miles off 100. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's and, I, I, and I'm going to remain two and a half miles off 100. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll yeah, save that totally. one for another day. How was Geary? Geary was, um, uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed it in a sort of sadomasochistic way. It was one of those races where it was bloody hard. Like, I mean, it was... It was actually hillier than I remembered, for one thing, and um, the conditions were really poor. It was really... Yeah, I heard that. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd just sucked in. I, I try not to look at the weather forecast and stuff like that, because it'll be what it'll be, and you can't change it, but somebody's spoken about it, so I got sucked into looking at it, and I, and I kind of thought, you know, it's maybe not that bad. It was looked like it was going to be windy, but it was the way the course was and the direction of wind, you're maybe going to be in a headwind for three or four miles. And then out of it for the rest of the race, which would have been fine, tailwind in the second half and that sort of thing. But actually, we were running into so be a headwind for at least eight miles without a break. <laughs> it was bloody. That's horrible. A lot, that, a lot of that is uphill as well. So the, the way yeah. the first mile, you're kind of overall downhill. And then the second mile's a bit up and down. And then three and four, it's up and down, but it's not, you're not class of silly, but then like, 
three or four miles where you just run uphill, basically. Uh, it's a really nice downhill for about a mile, and then you've got a big hill uphill, a uh, big mm-hmm. up about a mile. And then according to, when I was looking at the profile, it looks like it was then downhill from 10 miles. It's mm-hmm. not. So you go past 10 miles, you, you go downhill for a bit, and then maybe about 11, there's another hill, which isn't, you know, it's not that long and it's not that steep, but when you're expecting it to be all downhill, yeah, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth, like, so. Yeah. I, I, um, I had a good run, though, and, and another thing was, it, everybody measured it long, so I don't know if they're, if, if you know, they've not got the course measured accurately or something, but I was, I clocked, like, 13.23, and others clocked, like, 13.3, and I mean, I was, wow. I was going tight on all the bends, I was going up with the pavements and everything, you know, it, it, to try and run the yeah. race. I'm not really sure what's happened there, mm. and I think it's been the same as the last time I did it. I think but I, I, I meant to go back and check that looked long, but that's probably good for about a minute or so as well. The, the extra distance. Yeah. So I got a 124.02 as my time, um, okay. Lincoln loss, which is a much better course. So I was obviously not in a good shape that day. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I came 11th and. Yeah, I was pretty happy, actually. It was, um, I was running around in fifth for a while, and in group boots wow. in the early sort of stages. So he had Robbie Simpson, who led mm. out, and uh, Tom Roach behind him. And then there was another couple of guys, I'm not sure who they were, um, who we, we could sort of see for, for a lot of the way around. And then there was, I was in a group with uh, maybe four of us for a while, but <clears throat> when the going got tough, there were people dropping off of that, and I dropped off maybe... Only about five or six miles in, and uh, they slowly got away from me, and then overtaken by another couple of guys. But um, about eight miles, I was running up the bloody hill into the wind, and this guy from uh, JSK Running Club um, came past me. He was like, "Are we going to get a bloody tailwind today?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. And then it wasn't that long after we did actually get a bit of tailwind, but I was sort of chasing him till the till the finish. But um, I didn't manage to catch him, but. Yeah, it was quite good. I finished pretty strongly in the downhill sections, and, and it was a bit of a weird experience because if you see the, the, me in the finishing straight, the photograph of the, the official photographer, you know, I'm running in amongst um, the sort of tail end of the 10k uh, runners. So I was like absolutely flying past these guys who were like, so I don't know, they started at 9, we started at 10.30. Oh, yeah. They started at 10.45, so I've run an hour. They're running over an hour, so 10 kilometers are going a bit slower than an hour. I'm in amongst those guys do this. That's so funny. Weaving in and out of them sort of thing. It was a bit weird. Um, so, yeah, that, that last um, couple of miles, pretty much, well, last mile and a half or so, you're in the same course. And, yeah. And these guys. Um, feeling a little bit guilty about charging past them. <laughs> 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 mile pace, and they're going mm. like, I don't know, uh, 10 or 11 minute mile pace. So, uh, yeah, but it was good. I really enjoyed it, actually. And it was hard. It was hard. I saw some folk coming across the line after looking really struggling. Yeah, oh, we're, we're tough. So, so that's that one out of the way. No no PBs in the hand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, I think that was probably, probably a PB performance, if that makes sense. You know, if that had been a Yeah. Just this time of year. Yeah. It's awful. It was good, yeah. 
Training has been good as well. I've kept it going and a uh, couple of 10k races coming up. Um, so just gonna keep training for that. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 charge on a bit instead of rambling too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so well, a quick reminder that we've got this running theme of uh, the podcast all about running stories, whether that's motivational, funny, sad, inspirational. And uh, we ask listeners to send us their audio clips. We've got a few in the bank, but we need some more. So you'll hear at the start of the, you'll have heard at the start of the podcast a uh, uh, clip from a listener about how running saved their life. So if you can send us your clips, that'd be great. Um, just look us up on Facebook um, or send an email to me at callum at explorerunning.co.uk. That'd be appreciated. Um, a couple of stories that I picked up on. So we're going to have a quick chat about, and one's a local one, which comes from the local race, the D33, which was about two or three weeks ago now, I think. Um, mm. And <laughs> this ridiculous story went went pretty viral on social media, actually. So what happened was a guy basically ran with his mate's running number in the D33, which happens a lot. And, I mean, I didn't give it, as much thought as maybe I have now, given what's happened, but mm. I never do that for multiple reasons, to be honest. But um, this guy run his mate's number, and then he came second or third in the V40 category, and I'm not even sure he's a V40 himself. But he, he, I think he probably got caught in rabbit in the headlights a little bit. Didn't know what to do. Accepted the prize in his mate's name, and then. Uh, didn't realise the repercussions of this and thought it was quite funny. Posted a photograph of himself on social media tagging his mate. <laughs> Apologising for, uh, for, for um, setting the bar too high for his mate for next year or something. And then the race organiser saw it and uh, told the guy that he was both of, neither of yeah. the Scottish Open running anymore, they broke the rules. And then you've got this chat about health and safety. And, you know, you hear these stories about people going down in races and, you know, they've got the wrong race details and contact details on their number and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it could be pretty serious, actually. And, and that's the side of that. I certainly can. thought that much about. But aside from that, I mean, I, I suppose that this only really applies to guys who take the running a bit seriously. But I, I, I don't give up my race number or somebody else normally because I don't want to have their time on my profile. So if they're faster than me, I don't want to. TV that's out of my reach. Yeah, exactly. Or, that's one you know, reason. If they're, slower, if they're a lot slower than me, I don't. I don't want somebody posting like a 55 mm. k on my profile or something, you know. So, but yeah, the health and safety thing is is obviously huge. You know, mm-hmm. most of us take that for granted and don't imagine we're going to collapse in a race, but it does happen. So, yeah, you sort of imagine the scenario of uh, Callum Crichton collapses in a race running under, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Mark McCluskey's name and uh, Mark McCluskey's wife gets phoned. Yeah, your husband's uh, collapsed in the race. Has he? Didn't know he was doing a race. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be serious, I suppose. So what well, that's you? actually happened. Um, yeah, I know. Down in England, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, that person died as well, didn't they? I mean, yeah. I don't really think awful. the race number or the details would have saved them, but. No, you know, no, that wasn't really. I, it, you know. Yeah, that wasn't really the the point. Well, in that case, but um, it was quite bad. But there is a few differences between ultras, and um, I was I was reading all the comments as well, and 
I've got, there's loads of things I could say about it, but the one thing that I struck me was that from my own local running club, who do a lot of sort of five and ten k's, they didn't realise that in ultras you don't fill in details on the back of your number. So it's not really common practice um, in the ultras that I've done. In fact, I've never done an ultra where that's been required oh, because the organi because the organisers have got your details already. Um, but also, so, you know, you're out for 40, 50 miles. Um, oh, lots of things can happen to your number, and not all ultras yeah. use use a paper number. So it's it's almost and it, really bad things can happen in that time. And generally in a race, you're not gonna. I work as a. I've done a lot of marshalling where I'm on the race team uh, for first aid. So you quite often come across runners where you, you're not. You know, you you don't have. Uh, you don't need to know what their number is. You know them because you've been following them all day. Mm. So it's quite it's quite a big deal to okay. to to do that because you're relying on the information on a computer or the information that you've been given at the start of the race from the marshal team. So it's not quite the same as when you go because you know when you go to Balmoral or Inverness did Inverness recently and they made a massive big deal. You know, fill in the back of your your number so we've got your details. And that's another issue. People don't do that in races. Yeah, yeah that's why people actually don't. So I'm yeah. trying to think. If you if you enter one of these big races, I can't actually remember, remember off the top of my head. But things like through Entry Central, yeah, they're on there. If I you know I just pick Alan Crichton off of my list, mm -hmm. uh, potential runners I could enter into that race. And the yeah, uh, I suppose things like that maybe aren't on there. Emergency call. Details yeah. Medical conditions, but if I did, I don't think they'd be listed in there. Actually, for an ultra, they are. They have huge, yeah. huge questionnaires. So the G33 is one of them, and mm -hmm. you actually fill in masses of details. Like they want to know what medication you're on, if you've got any mm -hmm. medical history, if you've, what your history of running is, have you had any problems running, um, and actually you get quite a big first aid briefing at the beginning, pointing out yeah. any issues, and actually they go through common problems so you can get um, a few different sort of endurance related illnesses through running and there's a quite an, a bad one called, is it called rhabdomycin? I can't remember what it's called, everybody calls it the, the short term rhabdo which can lead to sort of liver and kidney function through overexertion. They're not 100% sure what causes it but one of the things, you know, it can make you very ill very quickly and that would be an issue for a runner in an ultra, definitely something you need to be aware of. So you're always told to check the colour of your pee, weirdly, because if it looks mm -hmm. like coke, that's an indication that your uh, body, your organs are starting to shut down due to the yeah, yeah. stress. So, mm -hmm. and just being really self-aware yeah. of how you feel. So, so I think... I, yeah, I, I told I wasn't aware of that, deal. actually, that you yeah. went to that length in your entry process. So that... I think that makes this far worse, actually. I wasn't, I, I was, yeah. I mean, I've, I've done the D33 long time ago, no idea yeah. what, yeah, what I, I, <laughs> I was uh, imagining, because uh, one of the things I had thought about with this story was that, well, that guy will have filled in his own details in the back of that bit, but he obviously yeah, wouldn't. Yeah, no, he wouldn't, and, and, not and so the, guy the guy that's given him his number, he knows what he's filled in, so he yeah. must know that, that guy's running with all of his details. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I suppose you could be blase about it and go, right, well, neither of us have got any medical conditions and, mm-hmm. and maybe that's how we approached it. But, yeah, it's a bit stupid, really. <laughs> yeah, it's just silly. What, what, what do you think about the... I mean, a lot of folk were accusing him of cheating. I know he picked up the prize, right? And I, I, can, I can imagine yeah. what happened in the spur of the moment, maybe not wanting to admit to it, but he did go and admit it social media, which was pretty ridiculous. That The fact that he's gone and picked up the prize and perhaps isn't a V40 even, um, mm. it's deprived somebody else of a prize and all that sort of thing. That's a bit of a shit thing to do, I suppose, is it? Yeah, very much so. I think, um, yeah, I can, I can fully appreciate why the race directing team and also why Scotch Reflex felt the need to to highlight that this is not correct procedure and this is not how you run a, a run a race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there's so many races you can do and they don't all fill that quickly. So yeah. you, you know, you don't need if you're not going to run a race, then you know, you, you you don't need to be handing these numbers over to other people. If they didn't no. get in at the time, they can go and find something else or do it another yeah. year. There's, and there's it's one not other, worth the risk. Yeah, no, definitely. There's one other thing oh, that came up when I was thinking about this. So I, I did run Geary a couple of weeks ago, and previous two years I've had an entry to the Geary 10K and haven't yeah. run injured or ill. And my mate has wanted to run on my number. And uh-huh tried to get the number swapped, but they wouldn't do it. Now, uh-huh. uh, they may have a policy or whatever written down somewhere, but I mean, if two years ago, I remember messaging them maybe two weeks before the race and saying, look, I'm injured and I'm not going to run. Um, can, can you swap in the number into my, my club mate, Mark Brown? And they said, no, it's too, too close to race day. We can't do any swaps anymore. Or I thought, mm-hmm. close to race day, but... I understand there will be logistical nightmares with this sort of thing, and so I just sort of accept it. But mm-hmm. it happened last year. I was down to the 10K, and I'd had a chest infection for a couple of months. There's no way I was running. And, um, and I, it was three or four weeks um, before the race. I can't remember how long it was, but I, I made a point of doing it quite early, and it was the same guy. He was going to run it, but they... They just said, no, they couldn't, couldn't entertain race uh, uh, number swaps. So I think surely there's got to be a bit of leeway there. If you don't want people to be running under other people's numbers without yeah. race organizers' knowledge, I mean, it, can't, it surely can't be that difficult, uh, especially Why? that sort of road race scenario where all they've got is your name and your date of birth, your running club, mm-hmm. and then fill in your details in the back of the number or whatever you know yeah, yeah I think I can pr- appreciate the frustration actually do you know I've I've learned a lot on this topic over the years <laughs> through being <laughs> in exactly the same situation um, and before I really understood all about this I mean I'm pretty sure early on in my career and I'm not condoning it but I'm pretty sure I have given well given my number to somebody else and have probably run using an entry that somebody else had because I didn't realize the implications at the time so I mean I'm just as bad as anybody when you look at look at these things but we know so much more now about first aid and there have mm-hmm. been so many fatal um, incidences in races, even locally actually, for some of the races around here, which is really sad. But 
from knowing race directors is a couple of things. First of all, a lot of the race team are volunteers, especially in ultras. So the ultra marathon community in Scotland, nobody takes a wage. So these organisers mm -hmm. are doing it off in their own time. So they actually open the race in some cases to more people than the race can sustain because they expect a certain number will drop out because traditionally that's always what's happened. So therefore that's one reason to not allow swaps because you need that mm -hmm. that margin. And yeah. the other one is that it takes such like once you uh, run Geary's huge and actually it's open for a really long time. The race is open for a long time to enter and it doesn't fill mm -hmm. that quickly. Um and once they once they filled they get so many people wanting changes that it becomes yeah. an incredibly, it's an, a, a massive admin job. And it can cause the, if you're paying somebody to do all these swaps, you end up running at a loss because it's such yeah. a consuming task. Mm -hmm. So I think when you get a race that will entertain a swap and they'll have a waiting list and are able to help you like that, you know, that's amazing because that's somebody who's given up that time to do that. So And that's totally up to them. But for a health and safety point of view, if a race doesn't allow it, then there's there's always good reasons behind why. And I know for yeah. ultra is just like, you know, these guys give up so much of their time. It's actually ridiculous. And that's before having all that other stuff to deal with as well. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. And I think we, as runners who perhaps don't organize uh, events, forget about that actually. Yeah. Uh, something like Ron Geary, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I, I don't know this, and maybe someone from Geary Roadrunners could correct me, but, but Ron Geary is a massive event. And I imagine it is, mm -hmm. it is generating money actually, because they've got loads and loads of sponsors. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, if you've got hundreds of people wanting swaps, then it's difficult. But I, I've done a swap before on um, the phrase over a half, I think it was. And that is all on entry central and I uh, all I had to do and I had to do it myself but I could I could change it myself on entry central so mm -hmm. one of my clubs I checked with the or with the, the I'm a member of the running club and I checked with the guys organizing whether I could swap it and they said well yeah you can and I don't know if this happens yeah. all the time whether they, they opened it especially for, for us to do it but I just had to go in and put in my mates details uh, and then we said, oh, I needed his name and I needed his date of birth and I needed his Scottish Athletics number. I think that was it. Yeah, I've done that as well. Get, get allocated. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know if people could do it themselves up until a certain mm -hmm. date. That might that might work. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if that takes away or adds to the admin of the race. I think it still does. Sure. Yeah, because I've done that before as well, actually, and I think you're right. I think it was, I, it must have been Fraser Burr, Peter Ed, that I'd done that for. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, there is still an admin requirement, and that's totally down to the organisers. And I think some, some people have the ability to be able to manage that and some don't. It's yeah. going to have a cost implication as well, I'd imagine, through Entry Central yeah, or whatever, whatever it is, maybe SI entries. There's quite a few different yeah. um, groups now that do these yeah, things. So, and, and it is different because Fraserburgh, that Fraserburgh Half Marathon, it sells out quickly. 
Yeah, and they want people to fill those places, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it's like 300 or something compared yeah. to 1,000 or more at Geary, so it, yeah, it's different. But Fraserburgh Half is awesome. It's a very special yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. So they, they definitely get, you know, I appreciate so much the effort that that club goes to because they do put a lot of effort in and give their time up to make it such a great experience for all the people that do it. Mm-hmm. So kudos to them. Yeah, I it's got better it's over the last few years as well, hasn't yeah, it? It's, it's yeah, it has, yeah. A few times and it's got a little bit bigger and a little bit, yeah, yeah. you know, like face the, the sort of mm-hmm. head of food afterwards is amazing, but they had to go last year, you know, we were in a little wee hall up until uh, last year, but they, they went to the bigger one. And even then it was full, you know, so it's, it's cool. Yeah. I guess it depends. As races, some races just grow and grow and grow, and you just get to a point where you've got to say, you know what, this is what we're going to do. This is what our race rules are, and mm-hmm. runners just need to accept that. And it's yeah. it is difficult. It's, it's like you say, it's really really hard, and you forget that you know this is just my hobby, and. <laughs> I need to not be getting stressed out and angry with people because the, the only other thing I'd really say about the D33 chat was I fully respect the decisions that were made and I think what happened was needed because actually you can't put a, bla- a sort of a bragging post on Facebook about these things and then expect that that's not going to you know be sort of addressed but it didn't really, I don't think the organisers were really looking for people to add to that. I think they yeah. were just making a point of saying, this is the situation, this isn't allowed, so this is how we've dealt with it. Um, but some people got a little bit carried away and, you know, at the yeah. end of the day, just running. So the guy the guy knows he's in the wrong, he's been banned or whatever, or uh, who knows, I mean, that'll be between him and Scottish Athletics, what the actual, you know, what's happened, but, you know, nobody else needed to give their opinion on it. You know, and an awful lot of people did. And, and I wonder, I wonder if he, how, how that ban will, if it is a ban, how it will play out, because just, someone just popped it in my head there, and if this guy gets banned, mm-hmm. that, to me, I think is probably too harsh. Um, yeah, I don't know. You imagine you imagine you're an um, an elite Scottish athlete, and you yeah. take ban substances. You'll get a two year ban. Yeah, well maybe he has. I don't know. You see, the thing is, I yeah. don't know if anyone will ever really know because yeah, I don't suppose. Right. I, I'd imagine that the sort of professionalism of Scottish athletics and whatnot will have dealt with it in their own yeah. way. Now. Um, yeah. He has he has run other ultras before, so he was fully aware of what he was doing. I yeah, think. It must be pretty hard to police that as well, because you can just go and enter a race. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I don't really care uh, if he gets banned or not. Um, it's it's been I think it's been be really better. useful in yeah. making sure people are aware of yeah. what can go wrong actually as well. Yeah, and yeah that's right. Say, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, it's like your life is. You, every time you put your name on a bit of paper, you walk onto that start line. You know, you don't know whether it's a 5k, 10k, half marathon, marathon, whatever, ultra. You just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I've mm-hmm. started races and then felt ill you know randomly through a race and it's just been mm-hmm. like oh 
I don't expect that. You know, you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Go so, yourself, don't you? And you yeah. got to take protect take the roofs. So, yeah. Um, okay. Let, let's move on to a slightly yeah. a slightly more light-hearted uh, story about cheating. Uh, this is definitely cheating. <laughs> the story that popped up online um, about this uh, runner in a in a Chinese race caught on a bike she was cycling and she got told to get off the bike and then she got back on and cycled again and she's been banned uh, and, and disqualified and all sorts of stuff but that's taken it to a whole other level I mean jumping on a bike you heard people cutting the course and you know maybe like you heard these stories of London Marathon cheats uh, jumping on a tube and stuff like that but yeah Brazenly through the course with a race number on. Uh, it's quite funny, actually. And I, can't believe, I can't believe it. <laughs> no, and one thing that actually I, I popped into my head, and I tried to have a wee look at a couple of local races to see if it said anywhere in the rules that you're not allowed to go on a bike. And I, mm. I don't think it does. Like if you go to a local race, if it's under Scottish Athletics license or UK Athletics license or whatever, I'm pretty sure their rules will have that you've got to run or you've got to buy your own feet, yeah. whatever. You can't be on a bike yeah. by any sort of other mode of transport. But if it's just a local one that doesn't actually have a Scottish Athletics license, um, and it will be down to the discretion of the organisers, obviously, to disqualify whoever they want. That's how it works. But it was quite. I thought it was quite funny that you could uh, you could actually jump on a bike and be like. I'm not breaking the rules. Doesn't say your rules anywhere that I'm not allowed to cycle, and then you know, oh, no. a 20-minute 10k or something. You know, it's ridiculous. Isn't it? I can, honestly can't believe it. But <laughs> there's no, there's no glory there, is there? When you get to the no. finish line, there's I mean, absolutely nothing feel... to be gained by it at all, is there? Yeah, why would What's you do that? that? It's such a weird thing, and, and cheating at all in these races. I mean, I can, <clears throat> I can understand the mentality of someone trying to get an edge uh, if they're almost good enough to be the best in the world or something and the pressures that they could succumb to you know with them you know you know stories about people trying to get an edge with um, performance enhancing drugs or uh, micro doping and all that sort of stuff and and all that and uh, I would never ever entertain it myself but I, I can I can understand where that how that could come about, but these mm-hmm. guys um, cut the course at London or other marathons, and then you know clock whatever time they did, and you look at their splits and they've done like a a three hour first half and a one hour second half or something, and then they pick up their medal and post their time on social media and you're just like really, uh, how, how can you sleep at night <laughs> knowing that you've yeah. done? And you've taken sponsorship money off of people and all that stuff. I know. Unbelievable. But jumping on a bike, I mean, that's that's something else. Taking it to another level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not yeah. even like, attempting to hide it or anything. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe their maybe their motive was to was to get five minutes of fame on the internet or something, and and they've achieved that. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope that's yeah. what it was all about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Work. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're, we're we're short of time, right? So um, yeah, moving to this week's guest, which um, is a local 
runner from Aberdeen, Zoe Clark. She is the current indoor British 400 metre champion. It's pretty cool having a British champ from from Aberdeen. So I managed to catch up with her a couple of weeks ago and hear about her her exploits in 400 metre running. And it's really fascinating listening actually to to how different she trains compared to someone like me or you or a <laughs> distance runner. It's pretty cool, actually. It's cool inside mm-hmm. again uh, yesterday. And, uh, yeah, I kind of forgot half the stuff. So so without any further rambling from me, um, here is that interview with Zoe Clark. Welcome to the podcast, Zoe Clark, uh, British indoor champion for 400 metres and European silver medalist for the 4x400 relay in 2019. Firstly, congratulations on those two medals. Thank you, thanks. So how are you getting on? Yeah, pretty good. Um, Indoors um, has obviously just finished for me, so I'm kind of trying to reflect on indoors, how it went, and also kind of look forward to the outdoor season now. Cool. So, before we get into any of that, the first question that I like to ask a guest is to give us your funniest running-related story. Okay. Um, I guess my funniest story, um, it's kind of dark humour for me, was my first GB experience was when I was 16 years old and I went to the under-20 European Championships um, for Great Britain. Um, and so it was my first experience ever, and I was there for the 4x4 relay, and I was running the first leg. So I had to set my blocks up and stuff, and I did my practice, and that was fine. And um, pretty nervous, obviously, because it was my first experience. And when they called us to your marks, I marched over my blocks, full of confidence, and accidentally kicked one of the blocks and sent it flying <laughs> all the way out into like lane eight. And no one apart from me noticed. So I was like panicking, like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what do I do? Um, and they had to recall the race. So I thought maybe not the best start to my international experience. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bit of a, a bit of a blooper, that one. So what, how did you cope with that then afterwards? Did you, did you manage to put it out of your mind and just go on with your race? Or did it affect yeah. you? I mean, I think obviously because I had to go retrieve the block and reset up. So I think the nerves were definitely extremely high. Um, but I just had to put that aside and be like, right, don't think about it. It's just a race. It's just a race. You know, kind of treat it as like a false start. You know, just everything was recalled yeah. and it was fine. But it, it was just kind of typical how that was my first experience. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine how that, that felt. Um, cool, yeah, that, that's quite funny, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, I was going to just go straight in and ask you about the, the British champs and the Euros and discuss that first um, before we get into training and how you got into running and all that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, we'll maybe start with the British championships. Um, so, indoor British championships, 400 metres, um, and, yeah, you took the gold. And it was it was a brilliant performance actually I, I watched it back I, I didn't get to watch it live unfortunately but I watched it back maybe a day or two later and I knew the result but I was still watching it going is Zoe really going to take this <laughs> it came from a long way back um, yeah. so I wonder if you could talk us through 
that race and how, how the tactics is one thing I, I, I'm not sure of. Never raced anything below. Well, I've done a fifteen hundred once, but that was a one-off, and never anything below three thousand. Um, and I wonder how the tactics differ from outdoor to indoor as well, because of the two-lap versus the one-lap thing as well. So maybe you could just give us a chat through the that final uh, itself and, and how you how you go about getting out there and positioning yourself and that sort of thing to the, mm-hmm. what's going through your head in that final sort of 100 to 200 meters uh, and maybe just let us know how that went. Yeah, well, indoors is extremely different to outdoors when it comes to running 400s. Obviously, outdoors you're in your lane, but indoors you have to cut in after 150. And I'm, I'm really not used to that. Um, this is my second season of doing indoor 400s, but I'm still not that experienced really to kind of know how to deal with those situations. So for me, as a speed-based athlete, the goal was always to try and get out fast because if you can get in front of the brake, then you can make it much harder for everyone else, you know, because they have to go around you and they have to do the more work. So um, I was definitely trying to use my speed um, to my advantage. Um, at the break, I actually wasn't in front. Me and Lavia, the other girl, we kind of got to the break about the same time and really battled it out. But because she was on the inside lane, she managed to get the best position. Um, so I had to tuck in behind her after the first lap. And that wasn't really my tactics because my 200 speed is probably faster than Lavia's. So I never thought she would take it out as fast as she did. So I kind of had to really assess quickly how I was going to deal with that and just try not to panic really and just try and tuck him behind her the whole way and just try and come out strong towards the end. It is difficult to overtake indoors um, so I might have tried to overtake on the second to last straight but if I had done that maybe I wouldn't have had so much towards the end so it's just kind of everything goes through your mind really quickly and you try and work out the best situation and yeah it all kind of came together and worked out well in the end. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask you about. It was the sort of split-second decision-making because, um, as I said, you know, my my sort of normal distance is a 10K or something, and, you know, you don't really have to make split-second decisions very often. Maybe if it's or in a half marathon or something, it's a windy day, do you make a burst and join the group in front of you to get some shelter and that sort of thing? But you, you've always got a bit of time to think about it, and uh, and there's lots of time to make up for a decision if it goes badly. I guess, but um, when you're racing, I mean, what sort? It's like 50. I was looking at your PB, 51.36 for 400. Um, so it's just over 50 seconds is the entire race, um, and these decisions could probably cost you a second or two, or gain you a second or two. I, I suppose I put over your opponent. So if you'd gone early and overtaken uh, Lavia, Lavia. Lavia, yeah. Yeah, Lavia. Um, that could, I, I'm guessing, that could have cost you a bit of um, a bit of energy for the final straight, and then you maybe could have got overtaken by two or three athletes, perhaps. You know, if you get it wrong, but I suppose it's just each race goes by as it does, and and, and you just have to live live by those decisions, I suppose. But because you don't have much time, do you? Yeah, I mean, each race unfolds very differently and you don't really have any time to make a decision. So as soon as you make a decision, you have to stick with that decision. Um, 
and sometimes it pays off like it did in this case and, and sometimes it doesn't pay off and that's why indoors can be really challenging because this split second decision that you make can make a race go horribly wrong or extremely well. Yeah, <clears throat> and it depends what the decisions are everyone else made as, as well I suppose. So if you've made a break for it and nobody else has came with you, you know, you, you've gained you know, two meters or something perhaps or a meter on somebody and, and they haven't they haven't gone for it at that time and then they're chasing you or, or vice versa um, so yeah I mean yeah every race is different as you say and uh, yeah it must be how many races do you reckon you do a year um, of, of like 400 distance? Oh, oh it's difficult to know um, if I had to guess I would say maybe 15 to 20 but indoors uh, it's such a small season, so I think actually the British Championships was my actual first 400 race of the year, and um, because oh, it's yeah. really yeah, it's really combined um, compact. So not many indoors, mostly outdoors. But like I say, outdoors is a totally different ballgame. Yeah, yeah. And so outdoors, when you're racing a 400 outdoors, obviously just one lap, you stay in your lane all the way around. And yeah, when I'm as a spectator, it's always really interesting to see where everyone is at the first bend because you know, the guys on the outside are obviously way ahead at the start but then it's sort of see where they come around on that straight um, and so what depending on where you are and um, placed lane wise what how do you deal with what do you just go out as hard as you can or what's the story Cause I know like running 400 meters it's classed as a sprint and for me sprinting all the way around the track sounds absolutely horrible yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was thinking about this quite a bit uh, after uh, we arranged to, to have this chat and I was thinking you know that probably 400's got to be about the hardest event because once you go to 800 you know that's outdoors I'm speaking about here so you've got your tactics and you can have a slow first lap and a burn up in the second lap and all that sort of thing and then 100 to 200 it's it's sprinting and it's, it's more like all out sprinting but for 400 you're not going an awful lot slower than your 100 meter pace times four uh, mm -hmm. so it's I mean if I try to do a 400 meter rep on the track if I do it too hard you know I'm falling to pieces by the end of it <laughs> you know and I'm going nowhere near sort of top end speed so um, how do you how do you get out of the blocks and, and are you just aiming for pretty close to maximum speed all the way around when it's outdoors or yeah well it is difficult and um, like you say it is a sprint but it's an extended sprint um, and I'm still trying to get the tactics right I think because the 400 is a difficult event to master um, you can't quite go flat out the whole way but typically you would go out say for the first 50 or 60 meters pretty fast, you know, as fast as you can because you've got that ATP stores that you're never going to get again in your race, so you just burn them as much as you can and get around the track. But then you have to kind of conserve energy, I suppose, going down the back straight. You're still going fast, but it's a fast, relaxed, relaxed pace yeah. um, so that you can kind of build it up when you get to the second bend and, you know, everything you've got left in your legs going round. But it is difficult um, because, like you say, it's so close to maximum. Um, my coach always describes it as a 200 meter race with a 200 meter deceleration and whoever de decelerates the least usually comes out, comes out first. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. 
but and again you're in your lane the whole time so it's not tactical at all you know you're just running the fastest that you can possibly do around the track although you know if you are in inside lane the the kind of view of everyone else it can change your race because you see how you are compared to them maybe you mm-hmm. you come up on their shoulder and use them to bring you around whereas in lane eight you're running totally blind for hopefully the whole race if, if you went you won't yeah. see anyone yeah um so i actually tend to run better in lane eight because you're kind of you're like running scared almost because you know everyone sees you you're out to be caught and you just have to you know run your best and try and hold on mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting actually and um uh what was i going to say there so yeah, no, what I was thinking about was, is time ever in your mind when you're running these races? Are you ever looking at the clock or are you just going as hard as you can by effort sort of thing? Time shouldn't really be in your mind, I guess. So my best races, I haven't been thinking about the clock at all. I will sometimes be thinking about the competitors in the race, yeah. um, but I shouldn't really be thinking about time. That doesn't mean I'm not thinking about time. I have had some races where, you know, I'm trying to meet a standard or something and I'm very conscious of what time I want to do and if I'm going to do it. But the best thing to do is to kind of put that aside and, you know, run as relaxed as you can, as competitively as you can. And then, you know, as soon as you cross the line, you can look over at the time and see what's what. But the best races, I've, I've not been thinking about times. Yeah, yeah, I thought that might be the case. But I did wonder because, I mean, <clears throat> even at sort of, the few track races I've been at, you've got um, you've got a clock um, and you've got somebody shouting at you. So I'm maybe do a a three thousand or something. So it's like seven and a half laps, and you've got somebody shouting at the two hundred split. So and you've got a clock at the at the four hundred split, and it's hard not to look at it, even though you're trying to run um, by feel and just trying to get round. But I imagine if you were at these big championships, um, you've got probably if you've got a clock. At the 200 and a clock at the 400, if you're uh, outdoor, that is, and you've got a screen probably showing the time as well, I guess. Yeah, there's usually screens everywhere, and I think there is a clock at 200, but I've never looked at it, so I couldn't couldn't (laughs) confirm that that's true. Um, But I guess that's where our training is really important, you know, pace judgment for the race. So we'll have to be really careful that we we know in training how fast we want to go through a 200, you know, so that we can get home without burning out and... You know, that's why runners, myself included, do sometimes have races where they just blow up because you just go that little bit too quick to begin with and yeah. just, you know, you can't quite come home. So, yeah, pace judgment is so important, but it's a really difficult thing to manage in a race. Yeah, and that, the thing that's just popping up in my head just now, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, um, Matthew Hudson. Matt Hudson Smith, yeah. Smith, yeah. He was double battle, yeah. And I remember his interview last year where he said something along the lines of, yeah, it was a weird feeling. I had this lactic acid in my <laughs> legs. And, and everyone's like, hold on a minute, you're a 400 runner. Why have you never felt that before? But um, it sounds to me as if you should probably feel that in the, in the final straight of every race if, you've, if you're burning up um, towards the end. But, um, he's obviously just so fast that he can run um, as quick as he does without feeling that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I remember the race you're talking about, and Matt went out extremely quickly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely legs are full of lactic towards the end, and I'm swimming. I guess you always have a bit of lactic, but most of the time it's manageable. But yeah. oh man, it's the worst feeling ever when you you've got 100 meters to go and your legs are already full of lactic, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh no, how am I going <laughs> to the end? Yeah, so I, I wanted to ask as well, actually, 
sort of touching on that sort of Matt Hudson Smith, he's um, obviously a massive name, even though I couldn't remember it, in, the, uh, in British athletics. And, and I wondered how, so you're maybe a few years into being sort of in this sort of top end of British athletics, and um, you were an under-23 two years ago, three years ago, is that right? Uh, three, I think. Yeah. Can't even remember. Yeah. So I've been seeing for a couple of years. Yeah. 2016, it says you're still an under 23. So, obviously, um, it's pretty cool when you went in the British Champs and you're racing against Ailey Doyle, who's been a huge name in British athletics and Scottish athletics as well, um, for a number of years. And she's one of the more senior athletes in that team now. And What's it like going up against somebody like, I, I imagine you used to watch her on the TV um, when you were younger and, and look up to her and probably still look up to her, but what's it like going into the final with her and beating her? I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, Ailey's a lovely person, but um, yeah, she's the most decorated Scottish athlete of all time. Um, so I guess it kind of sounds a bit intimidating, I suppose, when you're kind of lining up next to her, ready to go. But, you know, you just have to treat it like she's just another competitor, you know. It's difficult actually racing any of the relay girls because it's a bit of a strange dynamic we have because sometimes we're on a team together, you know, so we're all really friendly. So it's strange to kind of switch that off so that now everyone's a competitor. But um, that's kind of what you have to do. You just have to kind of forget everyone else, forget um, all of the achievements that they've had and just look at this as a race. You know, if you know you're in good shape, there's no reason why you can't go out and beat these people, and you know, if you do it, and that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great attitude. And as you were talking there, I was wondering about the different dynamics. So obviously, that's a British champs, and that is effectively all of your teammates normally in the relay plus one or two others. Do you have a different mentality when you're in, like the Euro champs, where? You know, you're actually racing for GB. Does that add a bit of pressure, or does it make any difference? You're just up against five or six or seven, depending on if it's in the outdoor girls that you're racing against. Or do you think about I'm doing this for Britain? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it can add pressure definitely, and it has done to me before. But there's a risk there if you think, oh no, I'm, I'm for Great Britain. That's who I'm competing for, and you add that extra pressure for yourself. If that doesn't um, if that doesn't sit well with you, for instance, when I have competed previously, um, for instance, when I competed for Scotland in Glasgow 2014, I really put that pressure on myself. I thought, right, I'm competing for my country. You know, there's thousands of people watching. I need to do it. And then you kind of lose focus on what you're actually trying to do. You know, you're treating the race differently, but it's still a 400 meter. You know, whether I'm doing it in front of thousands of people or whether I'm just doing it at my local track in Aberdeen it's no different. So personally for me, I try to treat it the same. You know, it's just another race. It doesn't matter where my competitors are from. They're just another, you know, five or six girls. Um, and I just have to do the same thing that I always have to do. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so I wanted to obviously talk about the Euros as well. I mean, I had, uh, after watching our British Champs, I had really high hopes. Um, and after your... Um, heat as well, it went really well, and then the final obviously didn't go great, but um, so I haven't, I was trying to watch it back, and it's impossible to find 
these races on the internet. <laughs> I, I did watch it maybe the night it happened, but um, I was trying to watch it back to remind myself exactly how it had gone. But I think you got you got a bit boxed in or something. Was that is that what happened there? And you just got sort of um, kind of. Um, I went out quite fast, but another girl went out faster than me, and it was a similar sort of situation to um, the British champs, but instead of tucking in where I did, I tried to push it a little bit too much, um, extended myself a bit too much, and then just didn't have quite enough energy towards the end when everyone else was coming through. So I did get a little bit boxed in, but it was more to do with kind of poor race um, judgment there that kind of lost it for me, I think. So that, that two, first 200 was maybe a bit too fast, and then you didn't have yeah. it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was wanting to watch that back again, but I couldn't find it anywhere, unfortunately. But um, yeah, so so that was obviously a bit of a disappointment given what happened. But I think it, you said right at the start that you're still learning with the indoors and getting the tactics right. And, and I guess you just take that as a learning experience and, and move on. You, you know you're in really good form, um, and you just build for the the outdoor season now but mm -hmm. then it's great that you've got the opportunity <clears throat> as a 400 runner to, to then go a couple of days later and go out and do the relays and also that went really well I did manage to watch that one back <laughs> and uh, and I thought it was a really well executed race by by Team GB actually and the Polish guys are obviously mega mega quick um, but I thought the watch it back and, and you know each leg was was really good, but I, you took it out in the second leg, and I thought one thing that I noticed was that you went past, I think it was a French girl, um, just as you were taking the baton, and it looked as if that was maybe down to how well the baton was passed over, you managed to gain a meter or so on her, and um, and then you, you held onto that and extended it through the, through the leg, mm -hmm. and passed it back over in second, and then... Um, Held on a second right to the end, and Ailey Doyle was actually closing in on the on the leader by the end, but there was just a slightly too big a gap for her to shut down. But they going back to that bat and changeover. I mean, historically, Team GB has been like when I was younger watching, they were really really bad, and they were dropping the bat in all the time, and um, you know the, the four by one hundred team especially, and they are fantastic now. They are a force to be reckoned with, and and you you girls are always in the medals at all of these championships, so. How, how much work goes into that changeover? Yeah, I think four by four changeovers. People kind of forget about them because it's not as it's not as high speed and it's not as technical as the four by one lot. And I know they do a lot of bath and practice. Um, they get together a lot. We we do get together quite regularly, and every time we have a really camp, we'll kind of work on the bath and changeovers and stuff. And it actually is an extremely important part of the race because you can you can definitely lose or gain a few meters there. And yeah, I think we had a really good change in teams and that definitely got us from third into second and that just put us in a really strong position for the rest of the race. Um, obviously it's not stressful with 400 because it's kind of it's coming in at a slower pace. Um, you have a bit more time to think about it. You know, you're not as likely to get disqualified because you've got 20 meters to get the baton over. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something we've worked a lot on and you know, as soon as we got the bath and I knew that was a good changeover and it just kind of set the tone for the rest yeah. of my leg, I think, because I knew we'd got it in a good position yeah. and it just filled me with confidence for the rest of the, the run. Yeah, that's, that's something I've thought about before, actually, is if, if you mess that up, that'll play in your mind all the way around and you might be trying to compensate or, but if you get it right, 
you're just like, yeah, nailed it. Mm-hmm. Just, just run. <laughs> yeah. And so, but it, yeah, like you say, people maybe don't speak about it that often, but it does go wrong because um, two or three years ago, I can't remember which championships it was, but it, Matthew Hudson Smith actually stepped out of his lane or, or took it. It was the Olympics. Was it, Olympics? <laughs> it was the Olympics that that happened. Yeah, yep. yeah, Rio. Yeah, and yeah, they missed a medal because of it. Because mm-hmm. um, they were fast, <laughs> you know, they've got yeah. a really strong team. So that was really disappointing that just a, a, a slip of the mind or, you know, just a lack of concentration in, in the big occasion or something. And, mm-hmm. and he still is a young athlete. He seems to have been around for a while now, but he was a very young athlete at the time and, you know, just a bit of an experience. Yeah. Um, but it does happen. It does. And it's, it's devastating to lose out on, a, you know, a final position or a medal from something that's basically a technicality because in 4x4s, typically the changeovers you might get disqualified if you step out of the um, the changeover zone or if you change position um, after the officials have lined you up um, for the incoming runners if you swap positions there or if you um, impede someone else. So in theory, 400 changeovers, you know, they're quite straightforward but in the heat of the race, you know, tensions are high, quite exciting, lots going on, you know, you could make a simple mistake like that and it's really devastating if you do get disqualified for something like that because, you know, everyone's still run around the 400, you know, you've done your best and to get disqualified in the technicalities is not great. So I think GB have definitely been kind of like making sure everyone's very aware of the rules and, you know, we're not going to get caught out in these things. Yeah, no, it's it's good because yeah, I mean, I as an athletics fan, I've been disappointed in the past. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen, apart from that one with uh, Hudson Smith. I can't remember the last one. Touch wood, <laughs> it doesn't happen soon. But it, you know, it, it's one thing that um, both the men and the women's teams have been very good at in the last probably ten years or so, getting that right in the in the hundred and the four hundred. So. Yeah, it's good to see you can be as fast as you like, but you've got to change that, that baton over well, mm-hmm. and uh, and it helps your race if you do it from a confidence point of view, as, as you said. So, so yeah, um, move on from that a little bit. But congratulations again. Um, you know, I think we sh- we really need to celebrate, um, particularly local athletes who go and um, perform at the highest level and, and come away with medals. I mean, it's not often we have someone from Aberdeen who's a British champ and. Uh, picking up silver medals and, and other medals at, at Euro Champs and elsewhere. So, you know, I think the city, and I'm not from the city, but the Shire, we're, we're all very, very proud to have local athletes going out and, and representing and, and doing so well. So congratulations again Thanks. on that. Um, and I was going to... So as a, one other thing to do with the performance side of things is um, you also race in two different races, the individual and the team, when it comes to the 400. And what's what are the different dynamics involved? So, in in your mind, I think of the sort of psychological aspect here. If you are racing as yourself, we've discussed that a bit in terms of you know you're just up against however many competitors there are. You run your own race. If it's outdoor, you focus on just going, getting the right effort, and um, without worrying too much about tactics. If it's indoor, you've got to worry about tactics and that sort of thing. But if you're in the team and you've got three other girls relying on you and you've got as very much as a team GB thing or you know if it's Scotland uh, you're representing, does that add pressure or do you feel more relaxed knowing that it's 
you're part of something bigger? How does that pan out normally for you? Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on the person. I think for me, I probably do feel a bit of added pressure because if I mess up my individual race, you know, it's just me. Whereas in the relay, you really don't want to let your teammates down, you know, you want to run your best for them. It's not for you. Um, but a lot of people find the relay more of a kind of casual, um, fun environment to be in. So a lot of people find that takes off pressure, actually, because you have the other girls in the team to kind of help you through. You know, you're in the call-up room together, so not as scary because you've got your friends with you. Um, so it is a, it's a different dynamic, but it's a really nice dynamic because, you know, you win or lose together. You, you can lean on each other. You can celebrate together. And it's, it's really nice being part of a team because obviously athletics is such an individual sport most of the time. So it's actually such a nice change to have teammates and to be able to kind of share the experiences with them. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, the only experience I would have of that is sometimes we go up to do a cross country race, um, and you know your you count your your position counts for your team, and that sort of thing. And I've I've only done it a couple of times to be honest. But I it is it, it helps me I think to drive me on a little bit because I maybe three times I think I've done it and I've been sort of first counter, third counter, or fifth counter. You know, depending on who else is around. But you do, I mean, that time I was first counted, actually, I'd, I'd actually raced the day before, so I was kind of on heavy legs and that sort of thing, and it was a two or a three lap course, and I remember thinking, one lap round, I can't, I'm struggling a bit, I can't really be bothered with this, because, you know, my legs are tired, but I thought, you know what, I can't step off the track, or off the, off the course, because, you know, I'm, I'm leading the team round here, and, and I need to just go around, and I actually picked it up, and ran a much better second lap than first lap despite being more tired so I don't know if does it help you do you think it helps you run faster if you've got that and you get, yeah. and get the span passed over yeah I, I think it does I think because you, you know you've got your teammates can depending on you you depending on what leg you you're running you want to put them in the best position possible you know and you want to get the baton around as quick as possible in the best position so I think it does help you run faster and yeah there's more motivation there yeah, cool. Um, that's what. So one other thing about Ailey Doyle, I think in that um, final, she was wearing silver trainers. Yeah, we had the same shoes on actually, silver spikes. You all had silver <laughs> trainers. Oh, I only noticed yeah. her one. So why were you not wearing gold trainers? Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, we've got Puma trainers, so we'll be we'll be contacting Puma to make sure that we've got gold ones in the future. Yeah, so we're going to match our medal. You won the silver medal, so yeah, gold, gold trainers next time, please. <laughs> so yeah, let's take a massive step back um, from this sort of top end athletics, and um, yeah, I just wonder one if you could let us know how you got into all this, I mean, where did it start for you in athletics and then running and how you developed into doing the 400 in particular, um, and I see in your, your profile you've got a string of sort of 60 meter performances and that sort of thing, but did you start out at Darwin Athletics and do different sports and that sort of thing, or have you always been a sprinter? Well, I came into the sport quite late in the grand scheme of things, I think I was 15 when I started um, and I just started basically because a teacher at school like you know really encouraged me to come along and give it a, a shot so I think I missed when you're younger I think you're exposed to a lot of the different events and you kind of go through all the different events and 
see what you like and decide from there. But because I was that little bit older when I came into it, I went straight into a sprints group. Um, didn't really try the other things like because I was there to sprint basically, mm-hmm. um, and I started off actually as like a hundred meter and two hundred meter runner, um, and that was my main thing. It's actually a little bit of a fluke that I've ended up doing four hundred at a club competition, a women's league. Um, the person who was meant to run the longer sprint wasn't feeling very well, and I foolishly said that I would you know fill in for her, because um, why not? Uh, turned out I was actually quite good at it and my coach got some ideas and ever since I've you know been focusing on 400 so a bit of a happy coincidence I guess. Yeah that's cool and I've heard stories of that before and not necessarily with such good outcomes but you know people turn up to these sort of club meetings and you know it's like oh we need somebody to we need somebody to do the long jump you know look around and just be like who's the fastest guy here yeah. who can do the long jump and, yeah. and that sort of thing so obviously that's just to get some points on the board or some description but yeah if you've got uh, amazing that that person pulled out of that race and then so I mean I, I guess that's probably between five and ten years ago and then now you're you know two times British champion at that distance is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah I know it could have all gone differently if she'd been feeling better that day maybe I wouldn't be a 400 meter runner. Yeah, so what, what was your best 100 meter time then? Um, so I still sometimes, not very often, if I can, would run 100 and 200 because I find them really fun um, short yeah. events. I think my best 100 is 11.54, I think. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, I just looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. because I'm never really sure in these things. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't really do the training for 100s and stuff, but I love doing them whenever I get the chance because yeah. they're my fun events. Yeah, that's cool. I think you're doing 60s uh, in the indoor indoors in January yeah and how does that fit in is that just like training for the 400 now for you just getting some top end speed back or yeah I mean because I'm part of like I'm a speed based 400 athlete you can approach it from the endurance side or you can approach it from the speed mm-hmm. side I'm very much a speed based athlete we kind of occasionally do you know indoors 60s and 200s just to really nail that top end speed so that I can go through the first 200 and feel much more comfortable with the speeds that I'm running at, you know, so it's not maybe as high a percentage of my maximum speed. Um, so often we will use indoors to kind of work on the speed aspect of it and um, yeah, and that's I think why I've not done so many 400s indoors because usually we use indoors to kind of focus on the speed. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, sorry, I kind of jumped on about a little bit, but so you, you took up the sprinting when you were 15. Were you doing any other sports before that? Yeah, I mean, I, I just did all the sports at school, you know, I did kind of, the, the big thing for me was I did dancing for like 13 years, but when I was at school, you know, I did basketball, I did netball, I did rugby, I, rock climbing, you know, a bit of everything. I've always been very sporty, but I guess it just took me a wee while to find my sport, you know, the one that I was yeah. really interested in. Um, so that's why I came to that a little bit later. All right, okay. And, um, so was it was it Aberdeen Athletics Club that you joined? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was it like going into that to start with? I mean, was that a bit scary joining all these guys who've been doing it for years and, and going on the track, or was it a really welcoming atmosphere? What was it like? Um, I really enjoyed it. I think I was just there to have fun. You know, I I wasn't really thinking about competing or anything to begin with. I was just there because I was. I enjoyed running quickly and I just wanted to kind of 
start training for that and see what happens. So I didn't find it very intimidating. And by the time the competitions did actually come round, um, you know, it was just exciting. And all the competitions I was doing was club competitions for Aberdeen um, Athletics Club. So there was just always a really good atmosphere there. Um, like I said, it's an individual sport, but it feels more like a team atmosphere because you're thinking about the points that you're getting for your yeah. club and everyone's cheering you on. So I don't think I did find it intimidating to begin with. I really enjoyed competing and I really enjoyed kind of like speaking with everyone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been to a couple of the meets at Aberdeen when I've done a 3,000, a 5,000, and a 10,000 on the track. Uh, they're open-graded meetings, and they've always got the um, the junior athletes on before doing sort of, you know, 200s or 800s or whatever, and it's pretty cool, actually. I, I love sitting watching that before before my race, and there are some really, really good athletes there, actually, and um, you know, I remember watching a 800 race with a guy in the lead. He was just out in his own, but he went through 460 seconds, and I thought, oh, here we go. This guy's yeah. got two minutes in him, but he did. He faded second lap, and he was he was really, really annoyed with himself. He was sort of huffing and, <laughs> and everything with his parents afterwards. But you know, I thought that's a fast runner in the making there, you know, and he must have been probably only about 14 or 15, I think, you know, but got the makings of a really fast um, athlete and. Um, and lots of, you know, see, we also went down to the Glasgow Grand Prix a couple of years ago, and uh, the first few races you see there before the elites is the sort of under-13s up to under-17s. And I remember watching this guy, I think his name's something like John McDonald or something from, uh, I think he's from Central or Sterling. And he was doing a 200, and he was unbelievably fast. It was, um, and he did the relays as well, and he was actually, he was about a quarter of a lap behind the guy in first, and he beat him by a quarter of a lap by the end. Oh, wow. it, was, it was it was ridiculous how fast I went back and looked him up on YouTube and there was a couple of clips of him in it. And that was a few years ago now, so I wonder where that guy's gone because he would be maybe about 20 now, I think. And uh, he was electric. He was so fast. But I love watching that um, kids running. It's brilliant. And um, it was actually going to speak about this at the end, but I just saw a quote, I haven't actually read the article or listened to the, the video, but somebody's been asking Laura Muir about encouraging girls into sport, and, and she said something along the lines, you know, girls should just go into sport and have fun and enjoy it, you know, and that's coming from like the best track runner we've Scotland's produced for at least a decade, if not more, and I think that's a really refreshing way to look at it, and, and I, I came across in what you said there in terms of you just went to track to have fun, and, you know, that's not everyone who goes there is going to land up being a champion, but if you go there and, and have fun and do it, you know, to whatever level, I think that's, that's I, would, I mean, I've got two daughters, and that's I would love to, for them to go into sport and just enjoy doing it. And if they are really good at it, they're really good at it. And if not, who cares, you know? But that, is that, would you echo that advice as well from, from Laura? Yeah, 100%. I think the whole point of you doing it is to enjoy yourself. And that's something I've had to remind myself quite a lot over the years, um, especially when you do get exposed to kind of bigger competitions and you do start to put more pressure on yourself. Sometimes you'll reflect afterwards and you'll, you'll be like, I'm so stressed all the time, I'm not enjoying myself at all. And you really have to remind yourself that the whole point of you doing the sport is because you love, you know, you love it. Um, and you remind yourself just to go out and have fun. And, I've always found that I've raced so much better when I've just gone out with a big smile on my face, you know, no pressure, whatever happens, happens, and really enjoyed myself. And those have actually been the times that I've raced more because 
you know, it's all about the enjoyment. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I can reflect on that myself. I mean, I've, I, you know, I, I normally race at 10k half half marathon occasionally, and you know, the the best races I've had. In fact, the best race I've had for the last three years was at the Baker Hughes 10k. I was coming back from an injury. I left my watch at home because I had no idea what shape I was in, and I ran my second best ever 10k time. You know, and and I really enjoyed it as well. You know, looking. You, you get a, there's a math at 5k which tells you your split. I went through 5k too quick, but I didn't realise I'd gone through 5k too quick, and so it didn't matter. It wasn't like I was beating myself up because I was slowing down. Yeah. I was actually just racing the guys around about me, and I got in a race with them. Um, uh, I was kind of shoulder to shoulder with Nicola Gold. Do you know her? She's yeah, I know her. In athletics, and uh, we sort of pulled each other around um, most of the way, and we were chasing Fiona Bryan from Metro, and didn't quite catch her. But um, you know, it was just good fun, and I really, really enjoyed that race. And I came away. I hadn't run a PB, but I wasn't expecting a PB, um, but I just had a big smile afterwards and, and really enjoyed it. And then fast forward two or three weeks, and I was running the, the 10K race um, at the beach in Aberdeen, the one that Metro put on, and I was piling the pressure on myself to go run a PB because I was in PB shape, but the conditions were rubbish, and you know I should have just forgotten about that. And you know, I went through first half at PB pace and then just fell to pieces in the second half and then I really didn't enjoy the race at all and I, and I was annoyed with it and you know and that's just you know I'm just a, a sort of fairly average club runner you know not at the front end of races at all let alone running the big series championships that, that you and your uh, mates would do and uh, I think we all need to remember that at whatever level we're on at that it was just you know we're doing it because we like it you know I mm -hmm. love running I really really love running and um, sometimes these races can take away from that a little bit, and and even just recently, I ran a half marathon and had a bit of a bad race, and I was like really pissed off about it. But you know, who cares? <laughs> you know, it's just yeah, I still managed to run 13 miles, and you know that's cool. So, and I was actually uh, this morning I'd uh, taken a beginners group out and doing some coaching, and one of the girls there, she was just brand new to running last week. You know, doing short jogging and that sort of thing. But she was smiling all the way around, and it was just like yeah. ace, you know. That's like, exactly what we want for. She, she she can run for half an hour without stopping and that sort of thing. But she's already delighted at running for, you know, thirty seconds without stopping, and it's brilliant, really yeah. good. And that's, yeah, I think that's a message we sh really should all try to remember. Definitely, I think we're we're always too hard on ourselves. You know, we always kind of focus on the negatives, but really just kind of focus on what's doing well. You know, be really proud of yourself and. Just remember to enjoy it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So in terms of um, if there were anyone, I'm sort of thinking about young girls because that's your background, but you know, young boys, young girls, adults who wanted to get into athletics um, or running, whatever, whatever that looks like. I mean, going along to somewhere like Aberdeen Athletics, I'm not sure. I mean, I've, I've looked at their website before, and do, do you have to be a certain standard to, to run there, or do they have sort of groups that welcome beginners or you know I'm not sure anyone can go I don't think you have to be a certain standard um, there's lots of kind of groups especially for younger kind of taster sessions and stuff um, so I'm pretty sure it's open to all yeah no that's good that's good I wasn't sure I, I looked at it before before I, when I was sort of getting into running and, and I, their website didn't used to be very good actually but it's a lot better now than it used to be that um, you know I was working in Aberdeen I was kind of thinking about sort of looking at the clubs in Aberdeen as well but I'll end up joining the club out where I live instead, but 
Yeah, no, that's good. And I think most clubs are the same, actually. You can go along and people are a bit intimidated. I remember being a bit intimidated by going along to a club, but actually when you got there, you realised oh, there are people of all different abilities here and, you know, someone will be the slowest at the club, but it doesn't matter. Everyone encourages yeah. everyone and, and that's that's great. Cool. So that's where you get into it. I mean, through your teenage years, and I think you went to university, did you? Yeah, I went to Aberdeen yeah, so University. You went to Aberdeen Mm-hmm. All right. I was con- always confused by your power of ten profile. So the Thames Valley thing is that just a uh, so you can race in England or something or? Yeah. So I have two clubs. I have my Scottish club, which is Aberdeen Athletics Club, and I'm also part of Thames Valley Harriers, um, which is an English club. And the reason I joined Thames Valley Harriers in addition to Aberdeen was kind of when I was at that stage for. I was um, maybe not getting the competition that I needed at the kind of Scottish club competition, and okay. um, where Thames Valley is in the UK Women's League, so you're competing against everyone in Britain, um, more of a regular basis. So that was just to kind of open up more um, competition opportunities for me. Nah, that makes sense. I mean, I I'd assumed you'd gone down to London or something to uni, and that's why you had the, the two clubs. But that makes perfect sense. And I've actually just realised as you're talking, that's the same club that Miles Edwards is affiliated with as well, isn't it? I've seen him. Yeah, it was actually Miles, he, uh, Miles that put me in that direction. Yeah, he does have about 10 different club fests, but we'll, we'll not speak about that. <laughs> um, okay, so you went to uni in Aberdeen, and, and did you keep up? I presume you kept it up, given that you came into it quite late, before you managed to stay at the level you're at. Were you still mm-hmm. competing all the way through university? You didn't get drunk every night or anything like that? No, no, I didn't really do the university lifestyle. I actually chose to stay in Aberdeen because of athletics. Um, By the end of school, I'd got to a point where, you know, I'd improved quite a lot and I thought that I could really do something special with the sport. And the facilities at Aberdeen and just the setup that I had with my training was just really good and I didn't want to disrupt that if I didn't have to. so Aberdeen did the university degree that I wanted to do, which was chemical engineering. So I thought, you know what, let's let's stay here. Let's put myself in the best position possible. And yeah, I just continued to train throughout. Actually, started training more, I guess, when I was at uni and competed as usual um, throughout the whole process. Cool. So you're a chemical engineer. I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> so do do you now do you work now or are you a full time athlete? No. I'm a I'm yeah. so, yeah, well, I'm a full-time <laughs> athlete at the moment. Um, yeah. Since I graduated, I've been focusing full-time on the athletics, but I really miss the academic side. So I think over the next few while, I'll be looking at something to fill that gap, basically, because okay. I really enjoyed doing my degree. Like It was extremely busy, but I think I thrive on that. So yeah, okay. I definitely will want to kind of look at having something in addition to my athletics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you hear, I've heard stories of, full-time athletes who really have struggled with their training and all that sort of thing because of the lack of daily routine in their lives. I remember listening to an interview with um, Colin McCourt a while ago and he was um, he was a 1500 runner that didn't quite make the 2012 Olympics team and his life just fell to pieces afterwards basically but he wasn't training right you know he didn't have a routine he just you know he would train whenever he could he bothered and get out of his house and that sort of thing, didn't it? And but he he took up running again two years ago um, after a bet with some of his pro athlete mates because uh, he'd got a lot of weight and all this sort of thing. But he got into a bet and 
he was saying that he was finding the running much easier to do and much more enjoyable because he was having to do it around about work. He had a full-time job and, you know, the routine of, well, if I'm going to run, I have to do it at 7 o'clock in the morning and at lunchtime or in the evening, whatever it was. But, you know, he yeah. just had to do it and he just went out and did it and he was really enjoying it and, and he went from being a few stone overweight, I'm not sure exactly how much, to, to running a sub-16 5K in, like, 10 months or something. Yeah. So he obviously had pedigree because he was a you know a top level uh, 1500 runner before that but um, but yeah that that um, element of routine can really help so what what's your what's your routine like then as a as a 400 meter runner because your training is obviously going to be very different from probably most of the people who listen to this podcast who are going to be endurance runners um, like me but how much running do you actually do in training? So it's probably going to sound, in terms of my running, you'll probably be shocked by how little I actually do run. But um, because I'm a sprinter, everything we do is, you know, very intense, high-quality stuff. Um, so we need quite a lot of time to recover from that. So typically, my track sessions would be on a Tuesday, a Thursday, and a Saturday. So I would have three high-quality track sessions every week. Um, but that's supplemented with other stuff. You know, I'm in the gym quite a lot for strength and conditioning. I do, you know, other ancillary work like yoga and swimming to kind of help with the recovery and stuff. And after, you know, my strength and conditioning sessions, I will maybe do a little bit of running, but not, you know, a proper a high quality track session. So, you know, I'm training once or twice a day um, using kind of but yeah, I guess all distance runners are shocked by how little sprinters actually do run because our bodies would just fall apart if we tried to run more, I guess. Yeah, and I think it's really fascinating actually because you guys are obviously in ridiculously good shape in, in terms of, you know, muscle and hard line of body fat and all that sort of thing. And as an endurance runner, to keep the calories burned you know we do big run I mean like I did a 14 mile run today for example and that's like <laughs> you know and that's just standard long run for you know a half marathon runner but you know if I didn't run I'm pretty sure I'd be quite fat right <laughs> but obviously I know I know you're working out sorry is it twice a day is that every day of the week not every day but several days yeah several days so um but yeah so you're doing how many, just to try and get a head around, how, how many hours do you reckon in a week you would spend doing something? So, you know, you do swimming and, and strength work and all the rest of it. Um, so probably w when I do double sessions in a day, it's one main session and then one kind of extra session that's not as high intense. Yeah. So um, probably I would train about three hours a day, um, every day apart from Sunday. So probably about 15 hours a week that I'm actually doing oh, stuff. That that is quite a lot. <laughs> but, when I, but when I say 15 hours a week, you know, that's going to include, like, your warm-up and your cool-down. So my yeah. warm-up takes, like, 45 minutes, you know, and that's just getting my muscles ready. And, again, cool-down will take half an hour. So although I say I'm doing something for that long, you know, the length of my actual session, the proper running part of the session, yeah. rarely takes longer. And it's, you know, it's funny. Obviously, we're both runners. Technically, you're doing the same sports, but it's so different distance running to sprinting because... For instance, the session that I did last night, it was really tough, very lax key, but all I did um, was 
three, no, sorry, four 300 meters running pretty quick, you know, lots of recovery in between. Um, and, you know, that was a really tough session. But in terms of actual volume compared to what you guys do as distance runners, it's totally different. It's just, it's so different for the body, the way we approach it. Yeah, no, and, and I think, I mean, you say, you know, it includes your warm-up and, and it includes everything, that 15 hours. But the majority of stuff that we do, although we're running for, you know, all of our training, some, some of us do some strength work, we should all do more, I guess. But, um, you know, most of it is pretty easy intensity, you know, and, and we talk about the 80-20 rule and 80% of your running should be easy with 20% of it, you know, as proper sessions. So, I mean, although I, I definitely wouldn't do 15 hours, I'd maybe do... I don't know, eight hours maybe. I'm not sure how long. I'm, I've never had it up, but something like that. And um, you know, by far, the, the majority of that would be easy running. Um, so, do you, do you ever do easy running apart from in your warm up? Do you, do you go for a a jog? Does that never come into it? Not really. Not in terms of my standard training. However. If I had maybe just had a competition and, and I was wanting to do kind of some recovery stuff, then that's when I would do, you know, easy running. But I'm less likely to do a jog. I would probably do some, like, 100-meter run-throughs, you know, at a really nice, comfortable pace, but not so quick. But, um, yeah, I don't really go for jogs, I guess. <laughs> so what, what, what do you reckon is the longest run you've ever done? I mean, I have run far. Like, I have... Sometimes pre-season training, we will run along the beach for like twice, you know, just to kind of get your fitness levels up. Okay. So we will run like there and back up and down the steps. So I don't know what that would be. Maybe like six kilometers or something. Yeah, it's still about six, I think, for the full length. So I, I can run further, but we just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, it just isn't relevant, is it, to what your sport, I think. But it, yeah. I, just, I just wondered if, if there was any, any element of that at all for aerobic fitness or anything. Because as a 400 runner... You obviously need you need some aerobic endurance to, to, to run a four hundred, but it's a different thing from running anything. Yeah. I think it also depends on how you approach the four hundred. So as I've said, I'm a speed based athlete. Mm -hmm. But you have on other four hundred meter runners, um, Kelsey Stewart also um from kind of the Aberdeen area, she's more of an endurance based four hundred meter runner. So she will do more of the kind of longer runs. Like I know she on a weekly basis goes out for kind of like five mile runs and stuff because okay. she's approaching it from the endurance aspect. Yeah, right, okay. So it can be done that way. Um yeah. it's just that I do it the other way. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I didn't know that actually. I wasn't sure. Um I knew I, I knew you got well, you get guys coming down from eight hundred and guys coming up from two hundred and that sort of thing. So I knew there was that different dynamic. But yeah, it's 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 funny for exactly the same event you can have such a different approach yeah. so i'm guessing you know when you look at um sprinters in particular but you know um i've noticed that um athletes like you have got reasonably big build compared to like an endurance runner and um so you must do a lot of you said you do a lot of work in the gym and, and that sort of thing and, and i was um that that's obviously a big part in, in sprinting is is your power mm -hmm. and, and upper body as well as as lower body. I mean, we we sort of ignore our upper body as in yeah. it's, it's uh, we shouldn't, but uh, we we tend to, and uh, we're just skinny waves a lot of us. But um, yeah, I, I'm kind of glad I was 
not interviewing you in person because I might have might have challenged you to an arm wrestle just to see how strong you were, and I'm, I'm sure you'd have kicked my ass actually. But, but yeah, so so yeah, you do. How many times a week are you in the gym then? I, I notice you you train with um, the swimmer Hannah Miley sometimes do you as well. Yeah, me and Hannah are in the gym at the same time, which is it's quite nice actually because you get you know input from a totally different sport, you know and. It's nice to see what's going on in the swimming world, but um, I'm in the gym three days a week, um, so I was there this morning, and yeah, I do a lot of work on strength, and obviously as a sprinter, explosive kind of plyometric stuff as well, mm -hmm. as, in addition to the gym stuff. Yeah, and so when you're in there for a session, are you in there for a couple hours, or how long would you be? Yeah, about two hours. Yeah, probably about two hours, kind of less of a warm-up is needed, I guess, for the gym. And so in there a couple of hours, and I quite like doing some short explosive runs over, say, 20 meters or something after the gym, just to transfer all the work we've done and make it more explosive and specific to kind of sprinting. But yeah, a couple of hours in the gym each time. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and you said earlier that facility at Aberdeen is amazing. I mean, you've got everything you need as a sprinter there, don't you? You've got the gym itself, and then you've got the 60-meter track indoor yeah and uh, yeah so I was thinking about this actually a couple of weeks ago and um, how, how much time do you spend training outside through the winter do you spend one second outside or is it all indoor no I mean I spend quite a lot of time outside and um, the indoor facility is amazing and we're so incredibly lucky to have it but as a 400 meter runner 100 meters inside is not going to cut it and um, yeah for an extended period of time so it's really helpful if you know it snows and the track's shut to have the indoor facility as an option yeah. but you know whenever the track's available to be used outside we'll, we'll still be outside in the kind of cold wet and wind um, just to get the longer runs in. Yeah and no, I did wonder I, I kind of thought of that question uh, the first time we'd, we'd spoken about doing this chat and I was I think at the time you were running 60 meters um, races and I wondered if you were doing anything longer than that in training but obviously you, you have been because that track a few times I turned up to that track in the morning and it was iced over and I had to go and run on the treadmill mm -hmm. and um, you know it's just nowhere near as good but it, the, the track's amazing so when you're doing the other thing I was going to ask you about training was when you're doing training for a 400 as a 400 meter runner and, and you mentioned that um, session you did last night which was um, four times 300 and actually I've, I've done a similar session before and I know how hard it is I've done four by 500 with like five minute recovery in between and it's pretty close to flat out and is it's a real leg burner it's harder than any other session that I've done I think and so I can imagine doing the 300s are, are hard but how close to race pace are you doing that sort of session at your 300? It depends on what time of year it is um, so because we're getting you know we had the indoors and we're getting closer to the outdoor competitions everything that I'm doing is kind of faster so usually all of our runs are kind of 90%, 95%. Um, when I'm starting off pre-season stuff, the slowest I would possibly go is probably 80% in terms of the runs um, of my maximum speed. But like I say, it kind of it depends on the session outcome and it depends what time of year it is. But this time of year, it's around the 90, 95% yeah. uh, mark. Yeah, it's really different. So different from what we do. Um, like I said, we've got this sort of you should be doing 80% of your stuff and easy and it's much slower than race pace so if you take sort of 10k race pace of say somebody's doing six minutes per mile at 10k race pace your easy pace is like 
should be like 7.30 or something. Mm -hmm. It was much slower and that's what you should be doing most of your running at. And you, only, and you add in the elements of race pace or quicker, maybe two, two times a week at the most, you know, as intervals or a tempo run or something, but you do everything pretty close to that um, to that race pace. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so different. But that's why we have to have longer recovery, because I suppose as distance runners, you're out all the time, you know, you're always doing these runs, whereas we're maybe not running as often um, because yeah. we really need the kind of longer time in between and it, you know we've done trial and error over the years with when I'm doing my track sessions and how many track sessions I'm doing and we have previously done back-to-back -back track sessions so a track session the day after I've already done one and we just don't function so well I guess your body it just doesn't do what you're trying to ask it to do if you're trying to make it work so close to maximum I, you know, it's just too fatigued to do it. So that's why we have to be really um, strict with our recovery and make sure that our body has had enough time to recover so that you're ready to hit your next session. What about, talking about recovery, what about nutrition as a sprinter? I mean, what's, I know, again, the comparison with endurance athletes, and there are loads and loads of different ways that people treat nutrition as endurance athletes. I probably don't pay enough attention to it, but, you know, lots of people have high carb, lots of people have, you know, low carb and high fat and all this sort of stuff but I guess do you have to be really strict with that given that you're generally trying to develop muscle most of the time whether it's upper body or lower body yeah I mean I guess for sprinters it's less about the carbs and more about the protein I suppose because you're wanting to develop your muscles and stuff Personally, I'm not super strict. I mean, I have a good diet. I know what I'm supposed to eat. And I do see nutritionists sometimes to kind of give me suggestions of things that I maybe should be including within my diet. Um, so you kind of know what you're aiming for. But I have a kind of, I just want to eat like a normal person, you know what I mean? So as long as I have a kind of good attitude towards food and I'm making sure not to go crazy with anything, I find that that works quite well for me. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's good. And yeah, actually, I, I forgot to, I, I've got a few notes here, and I forgot to write this down, but something I thought about, which I think relates to that, and about just being a sort of more rounded, healthy individual, and, and it maybe doesn't apply the same to sprinters, actually, but um, I heard an interview with, I can't remember what her name is now, but she was a distance runner, and she had, and this is terrible, because I can't remember what the condition's called, but for a lot of uh, female athletes, there's a an issue with um, the menstrual cycle and that sort of thing, and people especially yeah, when you go, yeah, if you don't get enough calories in and yeah, stuff, your body and this, goes down. This this athlete too, I've forgotten her name, which is terrible, but she, I think she was a, an English runner and she was competing to a pretty high level. But as a teenager, her coach, male middle-aged man coach, said to her something like, "Oh, you need to lose a little bit of weight." If you're going to be the best, or something like that, and um, and he, she'd taken it to heart as a teenager would, and she looked, and she was just made a little bit different from all of her competitors. You know, they were all super skinny, and she wasn't that super skinny build. That it wasn't healthy for her, but she went super skinny, and and she went for something like ten years without having a period. Um, not healthy. And, and, no, not at all. And and then she. But luckily for her, she well, she gave up running. That's what she did. She gave it up and got on a little bit of weight, and then it started again. And she mm -hmm. was then a, by the time I heard her interview, she was a mother by this point. So 
that was that was a, a happy outcome for her. But um, I don't know. Is that an issue for sprinters, or is that more for the distance athletes? I'm not sure. No, it is an issue that happens within sprinting, but I feel like it's less common in sprinting, especially the shorter sprints, because you know a lot of the girls are very muscular and stuff, yeah. and sometimes it's difficult for girls to kind of deal with their bodies being so muscular. Um, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, sprinters aren't too bad. But definitely, I I know several athletes, 800 meter athletes um, in particular who have had the exact same thing said to them. You know, their coaches kind of made an offhand comment about them losing weight. And it's really, you know, you've got to be really careful what you say, especially to kind of girls of that sort of teenage um, years. It's, you know, you can say something and it can really mess with people's heads and it can really, you know, it can really kind of hurt them. So it is definitely a problem that you find a lot in sport, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and I suppose... It may even be more apparent these days with, you know, girls being exposed, or girls and boys, but girls being exposed to, you know, the images on social media of these perfect, in inverted commas, uh, mm -hmm. people and all the rest of it. And, you know, it's um, it doesn't take much to just, for them to look at their own bodies and think, you oh, know, I'm, I'm ugly or I'm fat or whatever. And... You know, this, I mean, this woman was a top-end athlete. I mean, she was running really, really well anyway. And, you know, she was probably carrying one kilo more than the rest of them or something, you know, and really didn't need to lose any weight. But that coach, not knowing yeah. what he's speaking about, has said, you know, if you want to be faster, you need to be lighter. And, yeah, and she took it to heart. It's, yeah, I mean, I... I probably would never have thought about this sort of stuff until I was a dad of two girls, you know, and, and, and I think, mm -hmm. you know, I'm always really sensitive to that sort of thing, and I don't want that sort of thing to happen to them, you know, I'm really protective of them, but, um, yeah, it's, 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 I just didn't know if it was a apparent um, in, in your end of the athletics, but, yeah, it sounds like it's not such a problem, so, but, yeah, I think it's just important that people are looking after themselves, I guess, as much as possible, yeah. rather than trying to conform to some sort of stereotype yeah, it is difficult, though, especially with the social media thing, and especially if you're kind of young and impressionable. But you know, skinny doesn't mean healthy. Do you know what I mean? So it's 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 easy to say that you have to focus on being healthy, but it's not so easy to kind of implement. Definitely. So yeah, difficult issue there. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, yeah, so I think that leads on to one of the topics that we like to cover on this on the podcast and we've got this running theme of um, how running saved my life or your life and we've got messages from listeners that we start the podcast with basically a 60 second audio clip of how running saved their life um, and that could be anything from you know, people battling addictions or mental health issues or violent homes all this sort of thing and just to touch on it with with every guest that, that we have on the show, and I wondered if if you've got any insight into that, you know, in your own life or or in anyone else's life, in, in terms of how running is good for you as an individual and, and helps you get through, you know, everyday struggles or struggles in the past or anything like that. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me with running is just the amount of confidence it's given me. 
when I was at school, I was such a shy person, you know, total wallflower. I didn't like speaking in front of anyone, you know, found it really difficult to talk to strangers and would just kind of like hide in my shell and be invisible if I could. And I suppose running really kind of helped me come out of my shell because, you know, it was, it was something that I was proud of and it was something I was good at. So I was, I was quite happy to run in front of people, you know, so why couldn't I talk in front of people? And I think over the years, especially kind of as I got better, you know, maybe I'd have to do some interviews with people or, you know, post-race interviews, that kind of thing. And I just, you know, I just learned that, you know, it's not actually as scary as it seems. And I think the sport really helps with that because, you know, when I've just finished a race and someone comes for a chat, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really tired, emotions are really high, you know, I, of course really nice and easy to have that chat with someone there so it was you know it's very transferable to the rest of my life and I think that's really helped me through the rest of school and the rest of uni just being a more outgoing person and not being afraid to kind of speak out I guess. Yeah that's that's great actually that's um yeah I think just I mean I, I used to be the same I used to be very shy as well and I, I don't think running has anything to do with it I just over time developed ways of dealing with it and, and became, becoming more confident but yeah I mean, that's something that running I mean it'll be the same with you in terms of you went and joined a club and you're, you're surrounded by people doing the same thing or similar things and if you go to these running events that I go to 10k races or everything you get to know lots and lots of the local athletes and, and you, you strike up friendships with them and it can open up all sorts of doors and possibilities and, um, and you see people blossoming and, and, and that as well you know the sort of shy guy at the back of the park run or something you know not speaking to anyone and then roll forward a year or two and, and they're chatting to everyone in sight and I think that's um, it can be really powerful actually so yeah it's, it's interesting to hear that story from you and that's how it's helped you not through running not just running but through the rest of your life as well and I mean there's no way anyone would think you were shy because you know you're, you're clearly very confident and you know I've seen your those post-race interviews you, you, you talk about and that I imagine when you first do them that, that can be pretty intimidating people sticking a microphone in your face and you know trying to say the right thing and but yeah I mean it just comes with practice as well but and if you're talking about something you love doing it's it's easier as well isn't it so mm -hmm. yeah that's cool that's cool so well I won't, I won't take up much more of your time um, we've already gone probably a bit longer than um, than anticipated, but I just wonder what's um, what's next on the agenda then. Well, it's actually quite a busy year for me. Um, I probably wouldn't have done indoors had it not been in Glasgow because the year is so busy. But because it was in Glasgow, I kind of had to do it. But um, so the main um, the main championship for us this year is the World Championships, which are in Doha, and because they're in Doha, they're very late. Um, yeah. They're in kind of end of September, beginning of October, which kind of as a track and field athlete, you never compete that late. So that's going to be quite challenging to kind of get the year right, peak so late. And mm -hmm. um, so that's the main thing. But um, also, they just announced the team today actually for the World Relays, which is in Japan in May. Um, so I'll be going to that event, which, that's you know. Not that far away, actually. So it's going to be a really long season for me because, you know, starting out in Japan in May and then kind of keeping everything going until October, uh, it'll be interesting. So, so how many do they name in the team? Do they name four or do they name six? Or So 
it, it's totally up to the selector's discretion. This year they've named seven, but this year is actually a bit different because they have started to introduce for the World Championships this year and for the Olympics next year a new relay, which is the mixed 4x4 relay. Yeah. So two girls, two guys, you can put them on whatever leg you want, and yeah, that's a new relay. So there's now two relays that I'm going to be eligible for. Um, so both of those events are going to be at the World um, World Relays, and I guess everyone's just going to be finding their feet with the mixed relay because we've not done it before, um, and just see how that works out. Yeah, that mixed relay could be really entertaining to watch as much as anything, actually, because depending on how you line up, you could have the fastest 400-meter man in the world versus a female athlete, you know, and they could have a big lead to catch up. Mm -hmm. I think that could be really exciting to watch, actually, the way that could pan out, you know. Yeah, I think from a spectator point of view, it's going to be really good because there's going to be a lot of changing of position. Yeah. Also, four by four, is, you know, you can get a lead and that lead will maybe stick for the whole race. But, you know, some teams maybe will front load it, you know, maybe they'll put two men to begin with and finish with the women. Um, some, you know, might alternate it and it just depends because there's no rules on who you put on what leg. So it just depends on which team gets it right. But, yeah, yeah it'll definitely be interesting to watch and I don't think you'll know who's going to win until the very, yeah, very end. It'd be really difficult to run in that as well because if you're, you know, normally you're up against females who are of pretty similar standard, you know, give or take two or three seconds over 400 meters, but you could be racing someone who's potentially 10 seconds quicker than you. Yeah, I think that is going to be difficult because you could run your fastest ever 400. You know, you yeah. could totally nail it, and then a guy who is you know a 43 second runner yeah. could. Come, not jogging past, but you know, it might feel like that, they're yeah, just coming past with like no other. So it's just how you approach that. And I guess the men will have similar problems where, you know, maybe they might overtake a female and then just get a bit complacent because they're they're in the lead, but they can't do that obviously because yeah, there's still the rest of the race. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, I, I you know, so it'll be interesting. Is that this year? Yeah, so they're introducing it at the World Championships this year, um, but they're yeah. running the event at the World Relay, so I think that's when everyone's going to be finding their feet and seeing what the best strategy is for that race. Cool. Ah, that's exciting. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that, actually. Okay, so that's this year, um, and where are we? 2020 is the next Olympics. Um, where's that been held again? I've forgotten. Tokyo. Tokyo Olympics, of course. Yeah, that's right. So... Yeah, that's next year. Yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> that's yeah. only like, I thought that sounded like miles away. Next year. So, yeah, that's going to be the big one that I guess everyone's shooting for. Um, have you competed at the Olympics before? No, no, I haven't. In 2016, I was injured for the whole year. So even if I was kind of there or thereabouts, I, I, never, I never made that team. Yeah. So You'll be hoping for that next year then. Cause definitely. You're, I think, you're up there now. Yeah. Every athlete, you know, you say the Olympics, and that's something special. So <laughs> I'm definitely hoping that I can be yeah. safe and get on that team. Yeah, well, I've got my fingers crossed for you to make the team for next year. And good luck for the relays, and good luck for the worlds in Doha. Oh, one thing on Doha is that you compete in strange times of the night and stuff there. Or yeah, well, because again, it's so hot. The it's you know final of the 400 but at like 1:30 in the morning, which is just ah, totally bizarre. Yeah. So it's going to be a weird championship all around, but I suppose we're all in the same boat. Do you then just do you then just go there and live on UK tanks? They're about three or four hours ahead, aren't they? I think that's what everyone's thinking. Yeah. We'll just not have any jet lag because we'll just pretend we're at the UK time, and then yeah. <laughs> instead of one in the morning, it'll just be like a kind of late <laughs> evening thing. So. Yeah, 
Cool. Oh well, yeah. So best of luck with the relays and best of luck with um, the worlds at Doha. And we'll look forward to seeing that and seeing how the mixed relay pans out. That's going to be cool. Okay, thanks again for joining us. Um, really, really appreciate it. And thanks um, for giving up so much of your, your time today. Okay, thanks. thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye. Thanks for that, Zoe. Um, so yeah, like I said, it was cool listening to how different her training is compared to a 10K or a marathon or an ultra runner. And um, we kind of spoke about this before, Jenny, but uh, you said her training sounded brutal. Um, and yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you what do you think? Oh, just I just don't know how. She, I just it's a whole nother world. I didn't even know about that world. So. Yeah. That that I like the whole interview. I was just like, "What? What's going on? <laughs> this doesn't compute." Like, oh crikey! And when she's speaking about her sessions, like, I know a little bit about how, what it's like to run like that, and it hurts. It hurts. Mm. That's that feeling of just being so focused and doing proper <laughs> speed sessions. Yeah. And all and the cross training and stuff as well. It's yeah. like it's a whole unknown world. So yeah, it's definitely made me think. I, you know, I'm going to look into maybe mixing things up a little bit for myself. And but yeah, yeah I'm not ready to become a track runner. I've, <laughs> I've I've been to the gym once since since do that interview. I've been to the gym. Yeah. I, I intended to go once <laughs> twice a week, and I've been once, and uh, <laughs> my legs hurt. Like I mean, it's so hard. Weighted squats or something, and my legs are sore. Oh. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll I will try and incorporate some more of that stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, the thing I think for me, I come from a football playing background, and so I'm not to any sort of high level or anything. But you know, I used to train in football training and pre-season training and stuff. We would train really really hard all the time. You know, there wasn't such a thing as uh, easy sessions or whatever as everything was, was hard you know and you know hear stories about uh, people in pre-season training training to puke and all that sort of stuff and oh my God. that sounds a bit more like this and so when i came into running yeah. people do they come into running you know after being a football player or a rugby player or something as they get a bit older and they try to run everything too hard and uh for a distance runner as we know you, you should be running a lot of your miles easy and Mm-hmm. It's actually easier when what a lot of people call it and, and all that sort of stuff. That this 400 meter training sounds far more like you know that uh, sort of football training sort of lifestyle, mm-hmm. all about power and all that sort of thing. And, and you know the I imagine the stuff she does in the gym is nuts. Like I mean I don't really yeah. know sessions look like, but I bet you if you watched her training it would be pretty impressive. Aye, for sure. I mean, I heard, I listened to some, I forget which runner it was, but uh, I think it was an American sort of 1,500 meter runner, and um, some of the stuff they did back in the sort of 80s and 90s, I think it was, when they were training massive, massive gym sessions, and straight after our session on the track, going to the gym and be lifting really big weights and stuff, and absolutely brutal, but I mean, she's talking Mm -hmm. about um, talking about 
two hours in the gym. I know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can. To be honest, I mean, I, it sounds like a lot, but I suppose if you, if you're, if being an athlete is your job, then I could probably spend two hours in the gym. I'm not sure how how much my body could handle, but I guess you have to do that our entire running career, you know, should mm-hmm. that. But uh, and another thing that struck me was, um, I was convinced you would do some easy running at some point. That all of a running is is close to maximal speed, maximal effort, yeah. cool down stuff. And then she, when she talked about easy running, she was saying that yeah, so she said something like my easy running is more like, you know, hundred meter run throughs or something, which you know, I imagine hard. hundred hundred <laughs> meters at like faster than I can run hundred meters, and that's yeah. easy session, you know. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I was taken aback by that, to be honest. So, and 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 yeah, another thing was. Um, just how sort of grounded she was with the whole thing as well. I mean, that's mm-hmm. lovely. Yeah, totally. And uh, and I think this is a sort of running theme that I'm going to find when I get managed to get these uh, top level athletes on for a chat. I mean, I, I think they'll all be very approachable down to earth. They, mm-hmm. I suppose they maybe can't really don't really get the opportunity to have the sort of smoke going up their arse too much because they're not like professional football players who are getting paid. 100 grand a week or something, you know, it's, you know, they're still having to live a pretty normal life and um, despite the fact they're amazing and uh, much more amazing yeah. professional football players in my mind, but, um, you know, so I've got, like, you know, I spoke to Camille Heron, who's like a world record holder and she was like totally down to earth and well up for chat and would have probably chatted mm-hmm. to me if I hadn't got it short at two hours. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it's just cool. So, yeah, that was ace. Yeah, she was really um, nice. So I think, yeah, this is, I am sort of trying to wrap this up a bit quicker than usual. Um, <laughs> so the next couple of weeks, um, what have I got in the next couple of weeks? Um, just training, really. I've got the big use 10K on the 5th of May. So that's mm-hmm. four weeks on Sunday, probably. I'm looking at the 4th of April now. So, yeah, probably four weeks on Sunday. This is Thursday. That's probably about right. Um, so yeah, training's going well at the moment. Hopefully, it keeps going well for the next few weeks. Um, mm-hmm. I want to have a really good go at that. I really, really want a 10k PB. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few goes at it, um, uh, bigger Hughes and Fraser Brothers another four weeks after that. Okay. Um, it's in uh, five weeks. It'll be it's the ninth of June. So, and then after that, I'll be, uh, I'll be. Turn in a crazy lot on her for the summer. Yay! Yeah, that goes. Uh, <laughs> um, so, how about you? What have you got next couple of weeks? Any? I'm going to be. 50 miles of the runs you haven't told me about. No, I'm going to try and follow <laughs> the plan. It's all about oh, the plan. London. 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 So, Which yeah, I'm going to behave. Three, I don't know. Three weeks on Sunday? Yeah. yeah, it's like 25 days. Something like that. I got it. Uh, uh, 28th. 28, isn't it? All their promo Facebook posts are on to date <laughs> countdowns now. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. oh, God, I'll try it. Okay, are you excited about it? Yeah, I love London. Yeah, London's cool. like, see, for someone that hates running on roads, <laughs> London's like this weird thing where you don't, I don't know, once you've done it once, like, you just... 
that's it. You're like you're hooked. Yeah. It's weird. It's a really weird thing. Although maybe I'll change my mind because I think there is a maximal number of times you can do certain races. I think maybe this is be the third time um, running London. So we'll see see how it goes. But yeah. the two times that I've done it, I was the first year I was totally surprised by how much I enjoyed it, and then the second mm-hmm. year I did it, I went in expecting to have you know an easier time and did better, even though it felt easier. And mm-hmm. I just had a great day. So, yeah. Fingers cool. crossed. Cool. Yeah, well, good luck. We will chat. And, and that's it. Yeah. Before London. So, yeah. See how you're feeling. It might even be, I don't know, it's maybe a week or so before. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up pretty shortly. Um, remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and if you can give us a, a rating on the, your podcast app, that would be appreciated. And spread the word. Let other people know about it. Ace. Um, and next interview we've got from going from a 400 meter someone who ran their first 100 mile race uh, a couple of weeks ago. So our friend Dave Gilmore came in for a chat last week. And I've got to say, I really, really enjoyed that chat. It was really cool to hear about how Dave has gone in about three years from zero running at all to complete his first 100 mile race and, and all the, the bumps along the way and, and how he managed oh, it despite not really being able to train for it. <laughs> which is, he's such a great guy. He's such a yeah, lovely man. He is. He's a really good guy and uh, yeah. I'm really happy to have been able to have that chat with him. So, I mean, I chat quite a lot to him anyway, but it was, it was cool to sit down for an hour mm-hmm. actually talk about nothing but running, no interruptions, and uh, and hear about how it, how it went and what he's what he's planning to do next. So, um, yeah, that's a really good listen for anyone uh, interested in, in going into ultra running, but also those who can relate to the 100-mile stories and that sort of thing will we'll probably enjoy it as well. So, that will be in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but for now, we better go so that Jenny can go in yeah. <laughs> eight minutes' time and I need to go back to work. Um, so thanks a lot, guys, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. And I've been walking-